And we're back with another episode of the Carolina Snowflakes podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Jason. And I'm Amanda. And this week is a very special week for us because a member of this snow globe, somebody out there, a listener to our podcast from Iceland, wrote us an email. So we got an email. We need a soundbite for that. You've got mail. (laughs) Yes, that is a very original Soundbite. One of a kind. Don't for, copyright. For that. us to have for our show for when we get email. It's going to be you going, you've got mail. I like it. <laughs> well, that used to be a thing. I know. It was. It, in the like There was a Tom Hanks movie by that name. Oh, yeah. There was I a believe. movie. Well, I just remember logging on back in the day mm-hmm. when we all used AOL. Yeah. Because we're that old. Yeah. I had a friend. It's a really funny story. I had a friend who like found the audio file in on his computer mm-hmm. where it had that recorded yeah. and he recorded a different recording of him saying fuck you asshole so every time he logged on that's what he heard yes <laughs> and he did it and his parents couldn't figure out how to make it undo it right. so it was so funny because his parents would open his computer and he'd just hear fuck you asshole and they're like oh good an email yeah yeah so that's a fun story about that yeah <laughs> but anyway we got an email from a, a, a person in Iceland who, who listens to the show and had some things to say. And I thought that was the coolest thing in the whole wide world. Yeah. Um, I apologize because I'm not going to be able to pronounce his name correctly, but I believe it's Thruster. We, Thruster. we Googled. Yeah. <laughs> we had to Google like mm-hmm. pronunciation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it said Thruster. Which, that's a cool-ass name, I gotta say. That's a really cool name. I I think that's the coolest name ever, Yeah. but I'm gonna have to refer to him as Thor, because that's easier for me to pronounce. (laughs) Thor. (laughs) I don't know. It's easier for me to pronounce Thor than it is that name. But, I really appreciate you writing out, and uh, here's a shout-out to you, and I think uh, we don't go over our email enough, but it really makes me happy when we do get emails, so if you do have anything to say, just send an email to uh, carolinasnowflakes at Mm gmail.com and perhaps you will receive a shout out as well. You know, that's pretty cool. So, this week we're gonna have to kind of, you know, get back into where we were at, which was on a much more dour note, we were talking about Dr. Jordan B. Peterson Mm -hmm. and I feel like last week we did a pretty good job of, you know, just getting a feel for who the dude is. But I promised that, like, this week we were going to go over Jordan's life a bit and play some clips along the way to illustrate the way he sort of wormed his way into being, like, every dumb person's favorite smart person. (laughs) That's a good way to put it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It is. And I think it's kind of accurate. But it's not just dumb people, I think, though. It's impressionable people. If you're impressionable, he's your favorite smart person. Yes. So to start things off, like, with his very early life... I just figured the best thing is to just go like the Wikipedia is the easiest mm. into his early, early life because you're not going to get any better than, than that. Right. So it's basically just he was born on uh, the 12th of June in 1962 in Edmonton, Alberta, in Canada. Okay. So he's a Canadian. Mm. But hey. he doesn't have a Canadian accent at all. No, not really. Yeah. So I find that weird. Yeah. I guess he just is like academia accent and not so much Canadian I guess. Are you saying that academics in Canada don't have accents? No, I'm saying that like when you when you are so engrossed in like academic studies, 
and you stay in it and you go to places like Harvard, mm-hmm. I think you just end up with like the rich person. It's like the rich person accent. Oh. It's just, you know, like, you yeah, just, like somebody who drinks tea with their pinky up. Yeah. It's just like, <laughs> yeah, that's my identity or ID for rich folk. Yeah. I feel like that. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's just like how you end up with no accent. Really? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, affluence. That's the word. Yeah. Affluence. He has a Kermit accent, but I think that's more of a. a, (laughs) That's not an accent. Well, if he did have one, I would say it would be Kermit. That's more of a, what what would you call that? An affect? Affect. Yeah. Hey. I guess. Using Jordan Peterson Look at me and my my lingo. So he grew up in a small town in Fairview uh, in the northwest of the province of Alberta. He was the eldest of three children born to Walter and Beverly Peterson. Beverly was a librarian at the Fairview campus of Grand Prairie Regional College, and Walter was a school teacher. So he grew up in teachers. Both of his parents were, mm. were teachers, one a librarian and a teacher. He grew up with that have you milieu. Ever, have you ever met the offspring of librarians? Yeah, yeah. They're usually some of the most smartest people ever. You know what's funny? The guy I told you about that recorded Fuck You Asshole is his You've Got Mail. Uh-huh. His mom was a librarian. I'm telling you. And his dad was a lawyer. And that's how he knew how to get in there and find that little yeah. Uh, yeah. noise clip. Yeah, he's sound a lawyer clip. now. That guy's and a lawyer he's now. an attorney now. Yeah. I'm just <laughs> saying, in my experience, the offspring of mm-hmm. librarians tend to be more intelligent. Yeah. And academic yeah. than other children. Well, Jordan is no exception if that's the rule. His middle name is Burnt. So the B in Jordan B. Peterson is Burnt. Hmm. And it's after his Norwegian great grandfather. So I guess Burnt is a Norwegian name, which I found interesting. Okay. But there's a show that I listen to where he always refers to him as Jordan Balthazar Peterson because I think <laughs> Balthazar is just a much more suiting middle name for him. Like Balthazar. So I think I like. like what a weird. I know. What if it really was? I know. It's so. It's more suiting than burnt, but. <laughs> Burnt is actually his middle name. Um, <laughs> Balthazar. <laughs> yeah. He grew up in a mildly Christian household. In junior high school, he became friends with Rachel Nolte and her family. Nolte became a leader of the Alberta Democratic Party, New Democratic Party, I'm sorry, the Alberta New Democratic Party, and the 17th Premier of Alberta. So... What is... Um, excuse me. What is mild Christianity? It just means like... They went to church, but they weren't like cons- ultra conservative, super religious people. So okay. probably like so they're just a little bit. Yeah, just, just like Presbyterian just, or something. Just a little bit. Yeah, Christian. touch a bit, but not like oppressive. And then yeah, he became friends with someone who ended up being the leader of the New Democratic Party and was the seventeenth premier of Alberta. So that's wow, uh, that's kind of a big yeah. deal. So he was mixing with you know known people right yeah. from early on. He was a member of the New Democratic Party and from ages 13 to 18. So he was into this shit young. He was a member of, uh-huh. at 13? Uh-huh. Could you be in? Apparently. Is that a thing? Uh, apparently in Canada. Who knows? I had no idea. Seals can vote there. Uh, <laughs> and not the little singer. Little fact. Ba-da-da, yeah. Ba-da-da. Little known fact. Jewel first voted when she was seven. <laughs> Jewel is from Alaska. Oh, yeah. I knew she was from the snow place, though. <laughs> like, there's snow. It's yeah. all the same. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> 
As a teenager, Peterson decided that religion was for the ignorant, the weak, and superstitious, and hoped for a left-wing revolution, a hope that lasted until he met left-wing activists in college. Huh. So he got disillusioned by left-wing stuff when he went to college. Okay. As a young man, Peterson became obsessed with the Cold War and the possibility of a nuclear apocalypse. So he got a little Interesting. weirdo. So yeah. Now, it. how old is he? He was born in 62. So... 62 so he's like 60 something yeah 61 yeah yeah 61 yeah huh okay yep interesting i would think he was older than that if he was hung up with cold war War. stuff yeah um it's interesting his his house is full of cold war memorabilia most of it like soviet huh he's like obsessed with soviet memorabilia and like that whole time frame Hmm. and i think it was from reading books around his house and oh his, that library yes <laughs> books what is what did it you yeah. know books so i find it I, I find all that really interesting because none of that is really telling of anything like bad i mean it's all actually pretty good like mm-hmm. it's not like he it's not it's not like he was uh irrational i mean like he's extremely rational sure. at least in this way he approaches things i also find it interesting that going to college changed his radicalism mm-hmm. or i think that happens sometimes because what happens is you realize that the the radicals aren't as idealistic or smart or know as much as you do and so it starts to feel like wait a minute maybe the left is full of dum-dums i could see how that could happen i guess so i mean i can see it it's just usually the story goes the other way yeah. like i didn't know anything and i went to college and wow, being around these people changed my mind and made me a super lefty. I think that's really interesting that you bring that up, actually. That's going to... We're going to come back to that. I'm going to address that again in a minute because I think I have a clue into that, but it's going to be after we play a couple of clips. Okay. But I think we might have a clue into that in a little bit. Well, it's just... It's partly why you have so many hardcore, like, MAGA types who are basically anti-college, yeah, essentially. Right, right, because colleges are like liberal bastions. But if you're exceedingly smart, especially if you're exceedingly smart, narcissistic, and pretentious, mm. you see those people as being stupid and you get disillusioned. You get a mm. lot of f- more fake pseudo-intellectualism on the conservative side. That's my opinion. And you get a lot of That's, woo yeah. on the left, and that woo is bullshit to a lot of people and can turn off especially narcissistic people who fancy themselves to be more intelligent than those around them. Hmm. Someone like JP. Yeah, Balthazar. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's... that's Yeah, we'll, and we'll see more of that very okay. soon. So my summary is like, you know, Jordan went to college. He got fancy degrees from colleges in Canada. He moved to Massachusetts to teach at Harvard, and he taught there for like 10 years. And then he went back to Canada to teach at the University of Toronto. During his time as a professor, he was very popular on campus. And this is mainly when we start to get videos of him doing his thing. Mm-hmm. So our first this clip this week comes to us from all the way back in 1996. Okay. This is before Jordan wrote Maps of Meaning. So he's just a professor at this point. Um, he was he was just a college professor who had a bit of a cult following at Harvard. In fact, people used to sign up for his classes in droves. There's stories of people crying when they were at his last lectures because he was so influential on them. Hmm. And he was influential f- for both men and women. Uh, it, there's a question of whether or not like only men like Jordan Peterson, but right. he has had a following with women as well. Mm-hmm. He was a very popular professor, 
and it's because he can talk very, very much. <laughs> and uh, he can say these big things and he can make himself seem very smart. Yeah. And I think he enwrapped in, in a lot of people, uh, especially in that age group of college, that it's, that it's easy to mesmerize somebody like that. This is a course about uh, the causes of social conflict. Um, I'm not interested in social conflict from the perspective of a political scientist or a sociologist. I'm interested in intergroup conflict, but not at the level of group analysis. I'm interested in what role social identity or group identity plays in individual psychology and why it is that individuals are motivated to participate in acts of social conflict. Um, I am using for an example here the Holocaust. I was thinking last week, writing part of the preface to the book that you're going to read, about the Holocaust Museum in Washington. There's a lot of, that's a, obviously this is a museum to the, to the Jews primarily who were killed by the Nazis in World War II. And there's a number of museums like this throughout the world. And their central motto is never forget. Hmm. Hmm. So I found that kind of interesting. Yeah. What did you think? Well, it sounds like, I mean, it's, it's been a minute since I was in college, but it kind of sounds like it's a social psychology class. Yeah. Yeah. It's basically, it's basically about psychology. Mm -hmm. And he talks a lot about what he's not going to do. Yes. And I think those are some like disclaimers that he kind of adds, but I think he's starting off on some shaky ground, but if we give him the benefit of the disclaimers to the point he's trying to examine, I guess I follow. It seems like he wants to talk about the question of why individual people engage in group social com conflict. Mm -hmm. But he only wants to talk about this from the angle of the psychology of the individual. Does that seem right? Is that what that's what I heard? Yeah, kind of, except you can't well, I guess you can. <laughs> I was yeah. gonna say you can't do that, but yeah. I guess I guess you can. That's what yeah, <laughs> I wrote weird, but I guess we should go further because yeah. I don't necessarily agree with like the that thing that's is, an is idea. If I was sitting in that class and he opened it like that. I, my initial reaction would be like, am I in the right class? Yeah. And then I would be like, well, let me hear what he has to say. Right. Because right. I want to hear more exactly. before I cast judgment Right. Because that, that's kind of a weird thing to be doing. Yeah. And the fact that he turned on the overhead projector and it had those weird things on it, it certainly means me to be like, wait a minute, are you... What is happening? Yeah. Yeah, that's the vibe I got, too. And this fucking thing's two hours long, so... And, and then, of course, he mentioning his book and... Mm -hmm. Like, the like, book that I'm writing that you will be reading. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I found that... I'm glad you picked that up. I found that very interesting, too. I found that... And I, uh, I think it's... It's interesting. So, like, that clip continues, so I'm going to let it go on a little bit further, and then maybe you'll have something else to say, I think. Okay. okay. And their central motto is never forget. And this has always been confusing to me, this notion of never forgetting. Because I don't think you can remember something that you don't understand. And I don't think we understand why the Holocaust happened in World War II. Uh, hmm. hmm. Okay, so, <laughs> I mean, I kind of agree with that thought. I guess. I mean... At least the the fact that we don't fully understand World War Two, at least I don't, and the Holocaust. I think that by 1996, there had been a lot of studying involved on what led up to and or caused 
that to happen. Oh, yeah, I, I agree with that. But I think what he's if you take it back to the narrow thing that he was talking about is there's a lot we don't understand about the individual psychology of the people that caused and were victims of the Holocaust that I, I mean that we can't fully grasp that. I, I see I see that point. I do agree with that. Mm-hmm. But I also think he's going down a weird road that I still am he's skeptical of. He's going down of. this road of that you have to tread carefully or else you end up separating yourself. Mm-hmm. It's almost like removing yourself to the point where you're looking at something completely objectively as opposed to acknowledging that you could easily have been that person yourself. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying. Yeah. I think Jordan might know what you're saying too. Um, and I think, uh, it's probably in his book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I think this next clip is like a lot longer. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot longer. It's maybe two minutes, but you need to hear it to really get what he's saying. He does his whole word salad deal, but I'm really curious to know where you go with this next clip and it picks up just right where this one left off. So okay. it's a little bit longer, but you need to listen to the whole thing to see what what's going on here. And I don't think we understand why the Holocaust happened in World War II. Uh, I think I think you might regard the Holocaust as an unlearned lesson. And I don't think that you can process information that you don't comprehend. So to say never forget Begs the question is, what is it that you're supposed to remember? Is it the fact that six million people were killed? Is it, is it the fact of that particular event? Or are you supposed to be giving some consideration to Holocaust-like events that have occurred throughout history? Because there are people who think that what happened in World War II was a relatively unique event. It was something unparalleled in history. This is not a position that I adopt. I think, actually, it's a very common sort of event. Uh, it was perhaps... It was the event of that sort that has proved most shocking to uh, the European conscience, so to speak. But it hardly strikes me as unique. And people often talk about the Holocaust in terms of the relationship between the Jews and the Germans or between the Jews and the Nazis, with the Jews obviously playing the part of victims and the Nazis often are always playing the part of the perpetrators, and of course this is absolutely comprehensible from the historical point of view, but it also strikes me that if what we remember is that the Nazis killed the Jews, that we're already on the road to making a mistake that's similar to the mistake that was, that was made that led to the Holocaust to begin with, which is to identify characteristics that lead to patterns of action of that sort as characteristics of groups, identifiable groups, and it seems to me, I mean I'm not trying to equate the role of the Jews and the Nazis in producing the Holocaust, that would obviously be absurd. But what I'm trying to say is that the lesson seems to me to be, especially when you consider that the propensity for Holocaust-like events is deeply rooted in human nature, the the lesson to draw from the events of World War II is that that's what human beings are like, not what the Nazis were like. Hmm. Hmm. So I kind of agree with that one. Yeah, I hate to say it, but uh, I do too. Yeah, what did you think of that? Well, it's kind of what I was getting at Mm -hmm. um, before we listened. Was I was saying like you wouldn't want to look at it so objectively that you separate yourself, the human being, from Mm -hmm. those other human beings, right? Because ultimately, at the end of the day, any one of us in the right conditions or wrong conditions 
could have been Nazis. Right. Yeah. I find it. I find that also that like the idea that that there was some connection between like the way that individual acted and psychology mm-hmm. is true. But the, the 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 social issues are a thing as well, though. Like he is casting out all of the sociology and just focusing on the psychology. Yeah. And I guess you can do that. I. That's why it seemed like this class was more of a social psychology. Yeah. Where you kind of a melding of the two. Although he says he's not doing sociology, you can't not not especially yeah. when you're talking about the fucking Holocaust, right? Right. Because like, it's a group. It's yeah. a huge group of people, and they like the everything in it that happened was identified by groups of people, and so I yeah. find that. I find it really twisty, twer- turny, and squirmy and yeah, weird. And I think it, it there is merit in trying to examine it at the individual level. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's good. You mm-hmm. should look at it that way. But you can't do it without acknowledging that there was also a social factor involved. Yeah, no, it seems weird that he wants to do that. Or he thinks that you can. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But I had to cut the clip somewhere. But I mean, like he continues on for here. And, well, and, yeah, I'm sure. And this lecture is two hours long, <laughs> yeah. so I just like had to cut is it, it just somewhere. Two hours of him just straight talking. Oh yeah. God. Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> but I do think we're starting to see the angle that he's approaching here. Yeah. Um, I think this next clip it's a little shorter, but it kind of makes makes that same point a little bit even more clear. And this is from the same yeah. lecture? It just picks up a little bit after where this left off. And like I think he does a pretty decent job at making it a little bit more clear in this next clip. Okay. The fact that people are capable of perpetrating atrocities like those that characterize the Holocaust says something about what people are like, what everybody's like. Because it strikes me that that kind of tendency is something that's deeply rooted in human nature. And then to say that, but what was it about the Nazis or what was it about the Soviet communists that led them to participate in this sort of behavior is completely beside the point, in a sense. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I do feel like that that makes it a little bit more clear. It's a little bit more concise than his other way of getting there. Yeah. I feel like he stated it better there. Right. It took like, what, 30 minutes to get to, to the one part where he yeah, about, summed it up. That was about 20 minutes yeah, <laughs> yeah, into the thing. But yeah, I mean, like, at that point, I was like, okay, I definitely think it's clear what this lecture is about and what he's doing. But I did want to say, I, I find myself interested in his way of talking at the absolute least. He's very calm and focused on his point, and he's also very careful not to say anything that can be interpreted as justifying the Nazis. And I don't think that's what he's trying to do. I really don't. No. I, I think... He's expressing the connection between the emotions that connect people to identity as being the same emotional connections that can motivate violence. Yes, and he's saying that as human beings, we all have that thing Mm -hmm. that could, with whatever factors or variables he's going to talk about, could flip that switch. Yep. And turn on the propensity towards mm-hmm. violence. And that he wants to talk about those particular emotions, the ones that we have that we have wrapped up in identity. Mm-hmm. And he wants to talk about those emotions in context with being similar emotions or emotions that can be used to cause people to do violence. Mm-hmm. And okay. I do think that's pretty interesting. 
And I don't think it's necessarily something that we shouldn't to have a conversation about. No, I yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. Uh, so I wa- this this thing is two hours long, and I, I mean, even I have my limits, but I did watch it, and that's essentially what he's trying to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does a lot of bullshitting and asides and things that aren't worth talking about in it. Right. But that's the angle that he's going on, and it it is interesting. But I also don't want to go through the whole thing on the show because that would be kind of ridiculous. But I, I do have one last clip that I want to play, and it really sums up, to me, the gist of it after watching it. Like, this sums this thing up pretty well. Okay. So this is the last clip we're going to play from this lecture, and uh, I have something to say. I have some thoughts afterwards. Oh, good. Like, I really want to get at the core of this, too. Like I said it, it, a little while ago, I'm not interested in messing around with the question on an abstract level. I want to end the course with a concrete answer about why it is that people are capable of doing the sorts of things that characterize Nazi behavior, say, during the Holocaust. I want to make that so crystal clear that you can map out the argument from presupposition A to to conclusion D, so that it's socially and personally applicable, and so that you also get a glimpse, perhaps, of what might be necessary from the perspective of personal and interpersonal conduct to alleviate the likelihood that you'll get trapped into doing something like that. Okay. Mm. So, what? first of all, what'd you think? Well, I mean, he's a good salesman. Yeah. Um, because he, he just spun it there at the end and said, mm-hmm. don't you want to know what makes people do things like this so that you don't end up doing exactly. something like this? But that this is where I started to have a problem. This is where I felt like he's being dishonest and he knows it. I don't believe that he's interested in preventing people from becoming Nazis on an emotional level. Yeah. I think he's interested in examining the psychology of individuals from an academic perspective, which is commendable. But what I find repulsive is the pretense of being concerned with preventing Nazi ideology when he has done very little in that department since then Mm. and honestly has led some people down the path that leads them to fascism. I was thinking about that. I was like, yeah, he kind of associated with that sort of thought. He is. And I think even at this time he knew it, he Mm. knew in that moment that he was being dishonest about that. And that's why he affected these emotions that I don't think he really felt. Mm. I don't think he has an emotional real connection to that. If he did, he wouldn't be so opposed to talking about specifically the Nazi ideology and how it plays in mixed with the uh, individual psychology. And it's where I start to like lose him. And it's where halfway through this lecture, I started to be like, man, this guy really, if he meant the shit that he said and he actually felt it, he would have done different things with his life and he wouldn't be where he is now. Mm-hmm. And so, in a way, I'm judging his past and saying, if he believed these things, this wouldn't be his present. Right. He would be some sort of uh, talking head spokesperson for an action group of... Right. Like like the Southern Poverty Law... Yeah, and he wouldn't be you know, he wouldn't be going on podcasts and shows that literally actually have other people who are Nazi adjacent on them. Right. And almost exclusively. Yeah. That's a good point. If he felt that strongly right. about he would have spent some of his social media and his his yeah. celebrity towards actually preventing people from becoming Nazis and not just 
using that as a fucking cover up for him right. to say like I'm only going to talk about the psychology of people who do Nazi shit. But that was still a good sales pitch. It sure was, and you can see why he was an attractive sure, professor. Yeah, and to get your students interested because you're like, I don't want to be a Nazi, so yeah, I want to know like what to be on the lookout for. Right. I think he would have did a very good job at attracting people with that kind of talk, and the lecture itself isn't bad in that mm. sense. It's only infuriating in the sense that I know he's not emotionally invested when he pretends that he is. Yeah, that's what, and I'm saying like he could have. When you're talking about what he could have done since then, he could have been like the authority on hate groups. Yeah, I know. And like how they function and and what hierarchies within represent. And he didn't really do that. The psychology of what happens to a person who gets sucked into one of those groups. Instead, he spent a lot of time talking about, well, racism sort of anti-women points of view for some reason and weird ideas about masculinity. Yeah. Which to me tells me that if he really cared that much about preventing people from becoming Nazis back in 1996, either he didn't mean it then or he sucks balls at actually doing something <laughs> about it. Yeah. When he has the power to. Yeah. And I think that's something that bothered me. And I can tell, I watched the whole thing and I could tell that like, he doesn't really have an emotional investment in that. And that bothers that's bothersome to me. It's worrisome. Because I'm like, it is commendable that you want to study something about this to, to do something, but you're you're I don't you're lying about your motivation. I don't I don't buy it. What do you think his motivation actually is? What do I he's narcissist. Yeah. So do you think he wants to study it so that he can be a leader of a of a group? No, I think he wants to. I think what he wants to do is make himself sound really big and smart, well, and clearly. and be kind of an edge lord. So he's like talking about edge lordy things, mm. but you know, being smart about it. And I think he likes the the cult attraction that 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 brings him. Yeah, like that taboo. Like, yeah. oh, we're not supposed to say that. Uh huh. Mm. I think that will become more and more clear that like he he gets off on like that kind of attention, and he does it all the time. Yeah, and I mean, college students in particular would be attracted to that because yeah. they like the, the yeah. sort of edginess. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, he's doing, like, sort of internet edge lordy behavior, but he's very smart about it. Mm. And he's also kind of charming and appealing. And mm -hmm. he does know sometimes what he's talking about. And he's not wrong about everything. Right. So... It's like it's like an it's like a competent Alex Jones. It's kind of scary. Yeah, it's an academic Alex. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. But you can see it here and I thought I thought those clips did enough to like sort of give you a feel from what he was like as a professor and why he drew a following like he did and sort of the subversive things or the things in there that are shaky. Mm -hmm. It's like I didn't have anything that I was like, he's clearly wrong about this in a fuck stick. No, it's not blatant. His yeah. wrongness is not super overt or no obvious and there was a time period when hearing that would have been very appealing to me i just i can see further now i can see yeah. deeper now well i probably would have thought so too I to know. be honest i probably would have taken that class yeah so i think this was the first step in, in examining jordan and his understanding the attraction and the appeal and that he's not like always wrong or a complete fucking like doesn't know anything asshole mm -hmm. with no charisma He's not Alex Jones, is my point. Right. He's he's on the complete other side of it. So I don't know. I found that all very interesting. But I think, I mean, you get a summary, right? This is this is it. After this, 
he wrote this book, Maps of Meaning, and that came out in 1999, and he continued on the tip of that book for a long time. Like, he wrote that book and gave lectures about that book, and it was his, like, idea, his thing for a while. And it's a very... We're not going to get into that book because it's too not on brand for us. Like, it's too... It's it's not really... It's like philosophy and shit, and I just don't want to get into that on the show. It's not comedy. <laughs> yeah. There's no, I'm not going to be able to We're make like, very much jokes. Where are the jokes? Yeah, there's just not jokes in there. <laughs> but um, he did start a clinical practice for psychology, and for a long time, he saw about 20 patients a week for a very, very long time. Oh, really? So, yeah, he's had a clinical practice, and he maintained his license the entire time. Could you imagine if he was your therapist? No, I cannot. I cannot. I've thought a lot about it, and I can't like, imagine. Could you ma- walking in, and you sit down. Hey. And- how are you doing today? So I was going to talk a little bit about the Nazis and the Holocaust. Like it would. It makes me wonder, does he do all the talking? I know. Therapy, That's or... what I'm saying. A therapist that never shuts the fuck up and sounds like Kermit. <laughs> sounds terrible. <laughs> hey, cutting these clips was a bitch. You don't understand. He never stops talking. <laughs> Part of the reason I had to stop. It's just like, man, it's hard as hell to get a clip of him. <laughs> Shut up. Yeah. It's just like point after point after point after point. And you're like, man, half of that. I have, I have something to say, man. You know? I don't know. So, uh, in 2013, he started his YouTube channel. And uh, that's basically what we're going to do next week, is we're going to skip forward in time up to 2013, because from this 1996-1999 time until 2013, he was just that guy. He was the guy we just heard. Right, and he was touring with his book. and mm-hmm. And he was doing that kind of stuff. And yeah. it's not... It's not necessarily the content that we really want to get to. And it's not the part. It's honestly not the thing that's shitty about him, to, to, to tell you the truth. Was that the same kind of time frame when he was on, like, Dr. Oz and stuff? No, that's later. That came later? Okay. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, next week we're going to skip forward all the way up to 2013 and start talking about his posts on his YouTube channel, which is a humongous YouTube channel. Yeah. And we're going to go into to that and uh, see where see where that leads us because... He has a shitload of videos on YouTube, mm. and so it's going to be uh, up to me to start narrowing down like which wh- what I want to talk about. So that's going to be on me for the next week. So oh, fun! Yeah, uh, it's going to be great. I'm just going to be looking at videos of fucking Jordan Peterson for a week. So <laughs> if you don't hear back from me, it's because I killed myself because of listening to too much of this fucking guy. Powering off. <laughs> yeah, like you will. Yeah, <laughs> just like my Bluetooth speaker. So anyway, um, that's what we have for this week. I thought, you know, I thought that sums it up. You get an idea of him as a professor. At least you seem to understand. Yeah. I mean, I spent many years in college. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Way too many. Yeah. Many years in college. Many, many years. Uh-huh. And yeah, that's uh, especially in the in the, the soft sciences. Yes, as you would. Um. That's what you would get. I had professors just like that. Yeah, and that guy, you could see you could see him getting people to like him. Absolutely, especially when you're that young and and well, you know, professors are they are pre- presented as the authority figure, as the yeah, the one who knows way more than you. That's what I'm saying. And so last week in the clips we played, you commented on him coming off as sounding so much like an authority figure, mm-hmm. and I think it comes from all those years doing that in a prestigious university, and then yeah. doing it again in another prestigious university in yes. Canada. Yeah, it does. Yeah, so you can get that part of the picture and I feel like that's an important part of the picture to build for Jordan because it's going to play later into like 
how he's able to get even younger people than college people. Especially because, yes, there's psychology involved in just that. Mm -hmm. In the notion of him being the authority and the know-all. Yeah. And having influence over the minds of younger people, which mm -hmm. he knows he does. Oh, I know. Um, I think so this yeah, is I think it's cool. It's cool from uh, the perspective of looking at someone, looking at a professor like that, who's so tenured and respected and all that, and and, and looking at them as a human being uh -huh. and like what is their motive. Exactly. Like what's his motivation? Exactly. And I think it's interesting to have a lecture from that far back that he posted on his own YouTube channel. So clearly he still at least is proud of this. Yeah. And for me to be able to watch it and be like, okay, well the things you're saying back then either are a lie or you suck ass at fulfilling what you feel passionate about. Yeah. And I found that to be interesting. Mm -hmm. um, I wonder what he would say to that. Uh, well, first of all, he would reference his book. Yeah. He'd be like, I talked about this in my book. <laughs> <laughs> and then he'd tell you where you could buy a copy. Yeah. You can buy a copy at the fucking whatever, anywhere, basically. <laughs> On the internet, my website, jordanbpeterson.com. <laughs> Balthazar. Jordan Balthazar Peterson. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, that's what we got this week. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, appreciate Thanks for the listens from Iceland. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it, feel free to send a, an email to us, carolinasnowflakes at gmail.com. We love hearing from the listeners. It was great to hear from somebody this week. So we love everybody. Thank you for listening. Be sure to tune in next week because we're going to get more into him and his uh, what he's put out online. And some of it will be good and some of it will be bad. And uh, that's where <laughs> that's where we're going to go. <laughs> Bye.